Yeah, give me one sec. Hi, ready. Okay. Hello, this is Isadora Lamego. I am joined by my co-host, a second Isadora Lamego. Excuse me, sir. What is this <laughs> voice sounds like? I know you must be very confused, yours, because now there are two Isadora Lamegos. I do not sound like a Latina Miss Piggy. That's literally what you think I am, like a one-foot-tall Latina Miss Piggy. That's how you visualize me. That is fair. That is fair. <laughs> Sir. Okay. So the, our film review today is The Iron Giant. Isadora, does this movie hold a special place in your heart? Sparks Joy. It's such a good movie. We went to go see it in Dublin. I think they were showing it last year, right? Yeah, yeah last year we went to go see it in the lighthouse. Yeah, and I um, believe that I sobbed hysterically. And like, to be fair, I cry at a stiff breeze, but I cried extra hard. I've also seen yeah. it multiple times and love it in general. It is a pretty good movie. Did, when did you first see it? I presume, did you see it on video when you were a little kid or did you find it later in life? I saw it on video when I was a little kid and then I went through my obsession with... Okay, this is just displaying the fact that I know, I know no actors' names. I could talk about a movie endlessly, but I'm just like, actor, who are you? You're a human. The one who is bald and in the Fast and Furious movies. Vin Diesel. Yes, Vin Diesel. I also rewatched the movie a billion times when I went through my Vin Diesel's really cool phase, which hasn't really <laughs> ended. Yeah, exactly. You're like, it's still there until the Fast there. and Furious movie with him lets you down. Um, every single Fast and Furious movie has been amazing, so that's impossible. In fairness, Fast 9, the trailer looks good, so... Yeah. What do you think is going on behind the scenes between him and The Rock? I'm very interested to find out. Like, The Rock won't work with him. That's weird, because apparently The Rock is quite lovely to work with. Yeah. Like, everyone said that he's wonderful. I actually think that he could run for president and probably win. I think he would win. I actually put a bet on him to run for president in 2020. The Rock is apparently <laughs> the most loved actor in America. Yeah, he's the biggest actor as well. Um, yeah, I don't think he would have... I think if he'd run for a Democratic candidacy, he would have had a good chance. So, Even if he ran as a Republican in 2024, I think he'd have a good chance. I don't know what his personal politics are, but I think he'd be popular no matter what. I mean, I don't know what his personal politics are either, but I also come from the state that elected the governor, so, you know. Yeah, exactly. And Reagan before that. Reagan was a film star. Yeah. And so, not even a good film star. He's like a B-list film star. Okay. True. True. Okay, so okay. what I want to say is, I watched yeah. The Iron Giant uh, in my teen years because I was going through my uh, Vin Diesel's really cool phase. Okay. Well, I discovered The Iron Giant when I was about eight or nine. For um, We rented it out for my birthday, and I really liked it at the time. So The Iron Giant originally came out in 1999, so I would have been around seven at the time. Um, so I've decided to make the plot haiku a segment. Wait. So this is In 1999, I would have also been seven. Yeah. Oh, wait, you're only nine months older than me. That makes sense. Yeah, exactly. Sorry. So this is my plot haiku. <clears throat> Rockwell, 
Lonely boy. Huge, kind robot. Tracked by feds. Cold War metaphor. That's pretty much the entire movie. In I mean, fair. Fair. Um, you my, know, other one was, my other one was E.T. meets Terminator 2, which is also accurate. <laughs> I, think that you, I think that you should immediately consider only working part-time as a doctor and spending the rest of your time writing haikus, honey. Writing haikus. It's, um, it's obviously your natural talent. <laughs> I think a haiku film summary book would be pretty fun. Maybe if I, like, give up the podcast and just become a, uh, a Japanese hermit, like, living and writing haikus. About hey, if you want to move to Japan, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm a no, so, I'm weeb trash. So I'll give <laughs> I'll give a little bit of cultural context to this film. Isidore Lamego, pop quiz. What was the biggest grossing film of 1994, and also 2019, sort of? Titanic. Um. No. I feel very threatened whenever you was, ask. 94 was uh, The Lion King, made okay. a whopping $750 million. And uh, the live action remake thing that wasn't really live action made like twice that in 2019. Uh, so, yeah, after the first The Lion King came out, aka the good one, loads of other studios were like, I want some of that sweet, sweet, sweet money. Want some of that money. So, Jeffrey Katzenberg left Disney, set up DreamWorks. And uh, in late 90s, I made his first kind of CGI movie, Ants, and then The Prince of Egypt. I like Ants. With... Wait, um. Yeah. Hi. I used to run a uh, Tumblr that exclusively <laughs> reposted images of The Prince of Egypt. And I actually have a running joke that isn't a joke because it's real with uh, one of my friends that every year, I rewatch The Prince of Egypt at least once a year every year. <laughs> because the soundtrack to The Prince of Egypt slaps and I'm about that life. It's pretty great. Do you see they're making a, uh, they brought out a Broadway musical of it last year? They wrote new songs for it? I'm going to be honest with you. I feel like I feel like once I'm done with medical school, I'm going to come out of like this little rock from underneath the earth and then realize that all these amazing things that I love have happened and I'm going to have to kind of like reacclimate to being <laughs> in the real world because I I haven't read a real book in a year, Cormac, that isn't a textbook. <laughs> like I have not read a book. Yeah. Well, you can talk to me and I can teach you everything you need to know about the world. <laughs> Obviously. You used to yeah. be my book supplier first year and then it I gradually... Yeah. And nowadays no, you... you're like, here are some books, honey. I love you. And I'm like, sir, unless that's a textbook, get it away from me. You're like, I don't have time to read. So DreamWorks came out of that in the late 90s. And then they achieved greater success with Ice Age and Trek, those kind of CGI movies in the early 2000s. Warner Brothers were also like, hey, we want to make money for an animated film too. Uh, there's a sneaker commercial with the Looney Tunes. We're going to adapt it into a film with a basketball star. Isadora, Come what was the and movie? Slam and welcome to the jam. Yeah. I used to own a Space Jam crop top that I got from a like indie shop in uh, San Francisco. And every single time I would wear it on a night out, I would get multiple people complimenting me because my generation loves Space Jam. American, like millennials, love Space Jam, and you will never be able to convince me otherwise. 
Love it. Iconic. They, do you know they were going to make a uh, sequel to Space Jam in the mid-2000s called Skate Jam? That was going to start Tony Hawk. That's... Why not? So I'll explain this. So at, at the time, this big girl rush. Everyone wants to make the next big animated movie. Fox made Anastasia, which was great. Um, oh, but apart from DreamWorks, none of the other animated studios lasted. Fox followed up Anastasia with a film called Titan AE that bombed. And Warner Brothers had three bombs after Space Jam. They had Quest for Camelot, um, this film, The Iron Giant, which was a financial flop, and Osmosis Jones. Um, so uh, then, they, oh, then they had a new Looney Tunes, one Looney Tunes back in action. And because that flopped, they cancelled uh, Skate Jam, even though I think Space Jam is getting a sequel next year. All these things I don't know, but 2021 is just going to be like such a good year. <laughs> yeah, it can't be much worse than this year. Um, so at the same time, all these... At the same time, all of these uh, new animated studios are coming out, some successful, some not. There's a, another transition in animation. The year after The Lion King comes out, a completely different animated film comes out from a upstart Pixar. Uh, studio. Isidore? Why do you do this to me? You know that I don't know the answer ever. So what do you hate singing that you hate because you hate singing the songs oh, you have to acquire? Toy Story. I hate <laughs> Toy Story 1. I hate Toy Story 1 and no one's ever going to be able to convince me otherwise. I get tr I get like triggered by and Here's the thing, people are going to look at me and be like, oh, that's a really um, strong word to use in regards to Toy Story 1. But when I was in elementary <laughs> school, it was my chorus teacher's favorite song for us to sing. And we had to sing it so much. And as you know, I am tone deaf. So You're I'm not a tone deaf. And somehow you got the solos in the choir. Who gave you, kept giving you solos? You cannot I sing. I am aware. I am aware, Cormac. But now imagine that if I'm the person getting the solos, imagine how everyone else sang. And I had to listen to that song <laughs> every single day. <laughs> to the point that, like, if I hear you got a friend in me, I, like, immediately want to walk out of the room. Like, it's one of the few things that will actually make me go, nope, is Dora exiting? My ball, roll me out. Bye-bye. <laughs> So Toy Story came out and suddenly uh, kind of 2D animated movies like Lion King slowly started to appear like old hat. Uh, like, as I mentioned before, we had DreamWorks success with Ants and Trek and Ice Age. Um, we, or sorry, Ice Age was Blue Sky Studios. I'm getting mixed up. Um, so uh, 2D animation became less financially successful. Like the only uh, successful like Hollywood 2D animation I can think of in the financially successful in the 21st century was Lilo and Stitch. I love Lilo like, and Stitch. Yeah, Lilo and Stitch is great, but it only made like about a third of what Lion King made. And we look at kind of films Disney brought out at the time, like Treasure Planet and Atlantis, uh, they were a financial flop. So gradually 2D animation yeah. became less and less prevalent, which is why the Iron Giant is so special and why it's so still has dated so well. Like you compare it to something like Ants or Bugs Life, which came out around the same time, and like they look terrible in comparison. Like they the two D animation is beautiful, whereas the three D animation, it's like a it's like comparing a sixteen bit you know old Nintendo game with like an early PS one game. Like you look mm -hmm. at Spyro one, you're like, God damn it, this game is ugly. Also, I will say Atlantis is an amazing movie, and so is Treasure Planet. 
Treasure yeah, Planet had well, an amazing I mean, soundtrack. I mean, purely from a financial perspective, they did not make a lot of money. Okay, so, but here's uh, the thing. Um, I really like Treasure Planet because I feel that while Disney does... Okay, I do know that traditionally in media, like a lot of media has been catered like towards men, but um, I really liked Treasure, Pla Treasure Planet because it showed a male character like in the pursuit of like a father figure and kind of discovering himself and going through the process of like transitioning to adulthood and taking responsibility and ownership of himself and his own angst and his own problems. And I, I was like, oh my God, that's really refreshing and cool. You don't really see like men go through the kind of like Disney princess plot, you know, that Disney tends to do. Yeah, that's, nice. that's a good, it's a good point. And there was, um, there was good character development in the movie. It's a shame it did not do better to box office. It's it um, such a good. I still have songs from the Treasure Planet soundtrack on my Spotify. <laughs> so the Iron Giant came out in '99. It's directed by Brad Bird, who's most famous at the time being an animator and producer of The Simpsons, and went on to make uh, The Incredibles and Ratatouille for Pixar, two of their best movies. Um, but then The Incredibles so, two happened, and I had a lot of feelings about how bad that was. <laughs> yeah, Incredibles 2 is pretty awful. The movie that comes before it, though, the short film, Bao, was amazing. That one on Oscar. I cried so yeah. much during Bao. Incredibles 2 didn't even get an Oscar nomination, which it deserved an Oscar, nom Oscar nomination. It was not very good. Um, maybe we, we can do a spin-off series of Flop Shop called Movies That Made Money But Did Not Deserve To. <laughs> Scams. So, Isidore, do you know what The Iron Giant is based on? No. It's based I'm on just the owning it. I'm owning my lack of knowledge <laughs> yeah. about things now. I'm just like, nope, You're sir, like, I can tell you I about hemochromatosis. Like, yeah, I'm just, I'm owning my Americanness. I'm owning it. <laughs> I'm so impressed you got like the pillory thyroid cancer question from, uh, from the Annie one. I was like, that was impressive. Histopathology for the win. Thank you. Um, so it's based on a 1968 book by Ted Hughes. Now, Ted Hughes, you might be wondering, Ted Hughes, isn't he like some B-grade science fiction author? Yes, but didn't he have a famous poet wife? Who was his wife's name? Sylvia. Yes. Did she take his name, his surname, when they married? I want to say no. Yeah. I want to say she... I don't think Sylvia. I don't think Sylvia Plath is the type of person that would take someone's last name. Yeah, yeah. somebody tells me she's a feminist. I don't. I don't really know. I could be wrong. I don't really know. May, perhaps her literature might slightly indicate that, just like a little. Yeah. Slightly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. She <laughs> she wrote a review of this book called um, "Daddy." So the, you know the poem "Daddy" is just about the book. No, she did not. The book came out after she died. Uh, so... I'm so sorry. I'm so sleep deprived that like a part of me is like Cormac's being funny, Isadora. But then like my brain isn't fully registering yet because of like the deep inherent sleep deprivation I'm currently going through studying for this stupid exam. So apparently one of the uh, themes of the book is uh, loss and grief. So uh, spoiler alert for the ending of the film. If you don't want to know it, just, you know, skip forward a couple of minutes in the podcast. Um, at the end of the film, the Iron Giant sacrifices himself to protect the townspeople. But then the last shot of the film, you see he, all his different parts are like rebuilding and he's rebuilding himself. And um, 
Boatshead Hughes, who's writing the Iron Giant's book for his um, children, his mother had died, and also Brad Bird, whose um, sister had been murdered by her ex-husbands, uh, were personally dealing with, with grief at the time. And they liked the metaphor of, of rebuilding herself and taking these like broken pieces and you know making something that's similar to your former self. Not exactly the same, hopefully better in some ways. Um, I just thought it was a really beautiful metaphor. I like giant robots. <laughs> and it is a beautiful metaphor. It is genuinely a beautiful metaphor. I will say that I think part of the reason I liked it when I was a child is because I was also going through my obsession with Gundams slash mechs phase. Yeah. Do you know the Iron Giants is in, he's in Ready Player One because I think they, there was some, one of these Japanese robots that wasn't Gundam, but they couldn't get the licensing rights for him. So Warner Brothers just like, uh, we'll replace him with the Iron Giant. Um, We've got the rights for that. Do you remember when we watched that movie? I literally just started like smacking on the shoulder being like, Cormac, it's the Iron Giant, it's the Iron Giant, it's my favorite. Yeah. You're like, I recognize all these references. This is a nerd movie made for me. Anyway, no, no, no. So, Ready Player One was literally just references that made me happy. I'm like, what plot? Plot, what plot? What plot? <laughs> so the Iron Man was originally, or sorry, the Iron Giant was originally published in the UK as the Iron Man. Why did it change its name in the States? I don't know why I'm being such a question and answer thing, but can you guess? Is it because we already have a thing called the Iron Man? Yeah, exactly. So around that time, Marvel Studios had brought out Iron Man, which, uh, uh, who's the yeah, Stan Lee had created it he's like I want to create an arms dealer so uh, and make him into a superhero because I hate hippies that's really why I did it he's like can I make a superhero out of an arms dealer he's like look at me go yes yes um, so he's uh, so they had to change the name the name when they brought it to the states uh, other Marvel connection that's surprising uh, the Iron Giants me. is played by Vin Vin Diesel what other character in the Marvelverse does Vin Diesel play who is giant, is monosyllabic, and sacrifices himself at the end of the movie to save his friends? I know this one. I know this one. Groot. Groot, yeah. <laughs> apparently, um, for the apparently for uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, there was a Groot script where instead of saying, I am Groot, uh, it would say, like, what Groot means. So, like, what he's saying in his head so that um, Vin Diesel would know what emphasis to put on I am Groot. I like that. What I was going to say about the Iron Man thing is that I actually feel like that's surprising because um, Iron Man, like he was a famous character, but it's not like he was crazy popular with comic book fans up until Robert Downey Jr. made him like cool and exciting. Iron Man was pretty lame when he first yeah. came out, to be honest. Have you, have you seen the 40-year-old version? Yeah. So the 40-year-old version came out in like 2004 and there's a whole plot, plot point about oh, how... Yeah. Steve Carell is such a loser and he still collects like you know action figures and comic book and they show like oh and he collects like an Iron Man action figure they're like Iron Man sucks and he's like no Iron Man's cool Iron Man's great they're like they're like he's just a fucking boring Batman in a metal suit and he's like no everyone's got to realize in four years Robbie Downey Jr. plays him on a big screen how cool he is they tried uh, to make him more interesting by making him be an alcoholic but then he was just a boring alcoholic in the comic books yeah and eventually in the movies, I stopped liking him as well. After, after like seven appearances, I was like, and I'm done. So my problem with Iron Man is that he's really, so Robert Downey Jr. plays him really well in like the first movie. The second movie, debatable. Like the third movie I really enjoyed. I really liked your depiction of PTSD, but he's a dick 
like Iron Man is a mean person. Like when you see him interact with other people, he's not that likable. I'm like, why do I want you around? Actually, yeah. I think the last time I liked him was the Avengers one and Iron Man three. I feel like after that, I stopped disliking him as much. And especially because yeah. they wanted to make you like Cap more, like you put Cap in front of all the posters, and they had Captain America three with him versus Iron. Morality. Whatever yeah, he, side Cap is on in an argument, you're supposed to like believe that that's the exactly, right side. Yeah, that's it. He's the right side. Um. Uh. So. To, to, the Iron Giant. So Vin Diesel in this. The Iron Giant. Back to the Iron Giant. He plays the Iron Giant. He also looks a little bit like the Iron Giant because he's bald and stuff. Yeah. He must have based on his face. Um. Jennifer Aniston plays a waitress. Who'd have thunk it? Who is uh, a single mother looking after our main character Hogart? I think it's Jennifer Aniston's best film role. Film role. I'm surprised she hasn't done any voice work since because she's really good in this. She was really, really good, and I actually didn't realize it was Jennifer Aniston until you pointed it out. And I've seen this movie many times. Yeah, it's around the time Office Space came out, and she's really good in that as well. I wonder if Friends had got like cancelled somehow halfway through it, if her career would be even bigger now. Like if she would have got, I guess she was in a lot of rom coms and stuff, but if she would have been in like better movies, because I feel like she's a great actress. I think she still had like an Oscar in her. I know, but then that's kind of the... Do you want to be an actor who has to, like, struggle your whole life but you eventually get an Oscar? Or do you want to be an actor that did, like, a hit TV show that people still watch this day and you get, like, millions of dollars and you can live comfortably? Yeah. Do you know, every you know, year she still gets paid $20 million a year in residuals for friends? See? Here's the thing. Um, I would be cool with never getting an Oscar if I was getting paid $20 million. You know, with that much money, I could just buy someone's Oscar off of them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what Michael Jackson did. Uh, I think if Oscars are old enough, you're allowed to buy them. They brought them some real later that you couldn't sell them on. So Michael Jackson old and like the Gone with the Wind Oscar. See, I like that. It's like when you have enough money, you can just buy it. Same thing. He's like, I'm the only controversial thing that will be associated with race and Gone with the Wind. Was that a scar? Was that a? I was yeah, about to say know, Scarlett Johansson, Scarlett O'Hara. No, I, I was, no, I was doing a Michael Jackson voice, but then how Gone with the Wind has become racially problematic in recent years. I mean, Gone with the Wind was always kind of problematic, but then it's really <laughs> funny. Okay, my mom has this running joke about Gone with the Wind that I kind of appreciate. Yeah. Um, everyone romanticizes Gone with the Wind because of the movie. But if you read the book, um, I don't think Scarlett O'Hara is a particularly likable character. Like, maybe controversial opinion. I'm sure, like, a lot of people like Scarlett O'Hara. But for some reason, when I was graduating, there were, like, a bunch of people that when the, uh, like, the principal would, like, try to say something about you while you were graduating. Mm -hmm. And there were a bunch of girls that would list their, like, icon as, like, Scarlett O'Hara or, like, their favorite book is, like, Gone with the Wind that their icon was Scarlett O'Hara. And my mother... Every single time that happened during that graduation, they whispered me going, they've only seen the movie, they're lying. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's the kind of the Hollywood effect. Like, they make people more likable for the movie because they're like, oh, we got to smooth off all these rough edges in the book. From the book. It's like, it's like we're making a book version of Breakfast with Tiffany's. It's like, oh, let's make the male character not gay and also make him the romantic interest and also get it, him and... Um, Audrey Hepburn together at the end, never be happy at the end. Yeah, let's just like make oh, everything super heteronormative. Heteronormativity apparently makes money, yo. 
And our villain, uh, the federal agent who's going after the Iron Giant, is played by Christopher McDonald, who you might know as uh, Shooter McGovern from Happy Gilmore. You've seen Happy Gilmore, right? No. You've seen Happy Gilmore? I have no idea what Happy Gilmore even is. What? It's like the best Adam Sandler film ever. Have you not seen it? Okay, so controversially, I'm not... Well, not even controversially nowadays, I think. I'm not the biggest fan of Adam Sandler. This, this is the film that made him. It came out in 1996. Like, it made him a star. It's really funny. I mean, He's I was a golf- four, and my parents are not American. Well, they're American now, but they were born in Brazil. How did so, you like, not see this you video know. growing up? It's, oh, it's so good. He plays this... Uh, it's basically Adam Sandler character. This kind of man-child with anger management issues who wants to become a pro golfer. And then the kind of stuffy golfer who's always picking on him is... Um, is uh, played by Christopher McDonald's Shooter McGovern. And it I is probably, so good. It's his, I probably it's have to watch it now because it features golf. And you know my, like, obsession with uh, cosplaying a golfer. You do love golf. Um, yes, it's really good. I'd enjoy it. I'd say his best, I'd say Adam Sandler's best films are that, uh, The Wedding Singer. Um, Billy Madison's pretty good. Punch Drunk Love is pretty good. And Uncut Gems. Those are probably the best ones. Cool. So what is so uh, Iron Giants? The Iron Giant is a big alien robot lands on Earth. Uh, is befriended by a kind of lonely boy uh, who is doesn't have a father figure and kind of finds a father figure and this beatnik guy who lives in a junkyard. I love the beatnik guy. I can, I'm pretty sure that I had a crush on the beatnik guy. I think every girl who saw that movie at my age, which is kind of young, is probably like, ah, yes, I am I am like 11 and 12, or 12, and this is what a cool man looks like. This is what a cool <laughs> boy is. What did you like about him? I think that, like, I think that particularly during that time, like, a certain type of, like, a kind of angsty, artsy, aesthetic man was, like, quite popular in movies, and I kind of feel like it, uh, it made a certain generation of females uh, be very into that type of person. <laughs> it's, unusual, it's unusual to see the character like that in a kid's film, though. Like, I don't think if Toy Story wasn't a success, I don't think we'd see another. We would have seen another animated film with a with a single mother. But the idea of having kind of a like a kind of cool beatnik, almost like a fun uncle type. Like, but he's also I like. I really like him. Yeah, yeah. He's, yeah, he's I think like, he, he's also my he's favorite very, character. He's very giant. Well, okay. When I rewatched him when I'm older, I'm like, oh, you're like irresponsible and kind of trash. I mean, literally, he like makes art out of trash. He, I mean, he's golden trash. Like, he's definitely in the top like 99% of like quality trash, but he's still kind of like a trash human being sometimes. And he's extremely irresponsible. Why is he irresponsible? Because didn't he, like, okay, why are you going to have, like, a little boy hang out in your, like, trash recycle place? You know, I don't know, like, a part of me just finds that so strange that, like, he was completely comfortable with, like, Hogarth visiting him at all, like, hours of the day. Like, a trash, like, he lived in, like, an entire, like, trash recycle area. That's really dangerous. Like, the entire time I was there, I was like, you know that he could just slip and get tetanus, then you'd get sued. I don't think there was the same soon culture back in the 50s. And as well, this kid is lonely. He doesn't have any other friends his age. Um, 
And, but also, yeah, like the beatnik guys are kind of lonely as well. Like he's at the margins of society because he makes art, and people are like, "That is invaluable. This is in 1950s. You have to make coal, and you have to like smelt I, the coal in our steelworks." I do like him. Like to clarify, I do like him. It's just like, um, in terms of responsible adult figures for Hogarth, like he's really cool, but perhaps not like the icon of adult responsibility that we should look up to. That's fair. Do you think That's... this movie is, what do you like about this movie first? Um, I really like the art style. I think that mm. the art style is beautiful and I think that it's really distinctive in comparison to a lot of the other animated features that came out around this time. The animation, I re... the animation is, is gorgeous. And I really like, I think you touched upon this before, but I think that in a lot of movies, that are animated that are geared geared towards children there's kind of like a softening of the real world like you know like if there's a mom and a dad and the family dynamic is like you know nice and stable and everything and i kind of like the honesty that the movie depicted of like the frustration of like the single mom like having to like mm. raise her child and um i really like how they were able to like showcase cold war tension without necessarily like having to do an entire explanation of what was going on. Yeah, so like the animation is gorgeous. Like I said, it's that 2D style, but apparently they animated the Iron Giant himself in three dimensions, which I yeah. think works really well because it shows these alien and he doesn't belong there. Like in the same way that they're able to mix different animation styles, styles for Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. I thought it was a really clever mm -hmm. way of doing things. Um, because they previously done that for Milan for some of the action sequences, but it didn't make as much sense in that context. Um, so, and I like I like that as well. Like it's it feels like being an only child because being an only child means that you are a child in an adult's world, and you don't really have the same kind of you know space to kind of play and like mm -hmm. develop as a child and live in this kind of child's world. Uh, like, yeah, the, like the single mom gets like really annoyed at him sometimes. It's like it feels sometimes like you're watching an adult film, like you're watching Kramer versus Kramer or something. That's the thing uh, is that I think that it's an adult film wrapped up in child's clothing, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah. yeah, like in the same way that, uh, you know, the, uh, the Incredibles is about like the frustration about living in suburbia and yeah. like the, cons the constraints come with it. Like The Incredibles felt like yeah, you know, the, the end of Goodfellas where he's like, and now I'm just like a schlub like you living in the suburbs and I'm miserable. Mm -hmm. And it felt like The Incredibles was a like, continuation of that. Fear like, of the suburbs is real, like. man. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so yeah, yeah, I feel it's incredibly adult for a kid's movie, particularly for a kid's movie coming out in the 90s. Like now we're so used to adult-themed animation, but like at the time, like the most adult animation you had was like Beavis and Butthead and South Park and, you know, The Simpsons, which... You know, like I love The Simpsons, but and but like this felt like a step above. Like this felt like it had a real kind of air of maturity. I know, and I don't know. Um, the final scene, well, not like the final scene, but like the ending climax where like Hogarth is convincing him to like be peaceful again and having him like remember himself. Like I just remember, I always cry so much. I think that's such like a beautiful scene, and I think that I don't know how to explain this, but like. The animation in that scene is just so utterly gorgeous when he has like all those like missiles. Like I actually like feel intimidated when I watch it to this day. Yeah, I like I, 
I love like when I watch when you watch it as a kid, you don't realize oh, this is like set in the fifties, it's about the Cold War. I love how it gets that that sense of paranoia and how it's really plausible. Like one of the ways that the the kind of federal agents um, uh, kind of twist the arm of the main character, Dianne Hogarth, is saying like, oh, you know, well, your mother's a single mother, and you know, you've been in all these dangerous situations, which is kind of true. Like there's a couple of times you could have died in the film, as we mentioned. Um, and they're like, oh, well, maybe we'll, you know, take you away from her. Like maybe she's unfit to be a mother. And I, I'm sure that was like, and that's you know, a real still, fear. I, yeah, it's a yeah. valid fear. Like people are terrified of being taken away from their parents, and especially in that era, it would have been like relatively easy to to take a child away from a single mother because of the stigma associated with single parents at the time. Um, so yeah, like it, it really hits home. It's not like, oh, I'm evil, and you know, I'm going to twirl my mustache or I've kidnapped your mom and put her in like a you know, a helium balloon. It's like, a very like, adult like, evil. That could happen. Yeah. It's like a really realistic evil. But I also think that like the most terrifying, terrifying kind of evil for me in movies is the type that could happen in real life. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of the things I really like about The Incredibles as well. They're like one of the reasons like superheroes stopped being a thing was not that there was like, you know, some super villain who was really powerful and they all died off or that they became gradually less relevant. It's like they started being sued by people. And they lost public support. That's very honest. Like, I, I thought that was really subversive and funny. Yeah, no, that definitely would happen. Yeah. Particularly in America. Yeah, I know exactly. Um, as well, you know, the way there's the uh, kind of, there's the ongoing motif of Superman in this. Um, if you think it's Superman, small town, what does this remind me of? 2000s TV show. Smallville! Smallville, yeah. The writer of this uh, came up with the concept for Smallville. Really? Yeah. <gasps> You want to hear a controversial thing? I've never seen Smallville. Everyone <laughs> has seen Smallville. I somehow am a comic book fan who has never watched Smallville. It, it's not. It's not that good. Um, but it was. It was very much kind of a post Dawson's Creek kind of teen kind of weepy thing, but with superhero stuff. I'm, I'm, it's pretty. There's lots of shows like that out now, though, with the Arrowverse and Supergirl and. And the Flash, like it's, I'd say it's a, um, I'd say it's had a large kind of indirect cultural effect, even though it hasn't dated particularly well. But Amy, yeah, Amy Adams is one episode. Gonna be honest, I did. I tried watching Arrow and I tried watching the Flash. None of them really stuck with me. Yeah, I don't think they're particularly good shows, but I like they have an audience, and the audience is teenage girls. That's fair, and also I never want to like patronize things that like teenage girls like because they are cultural trendsetters. Honestly, you know they say with language that um, that uh, like slang begins with teenage girls, and then you know five or six years later it gets taken up by everyone else. So final segment, uh, bop or scam? Oh, such a hard bop! The most perfect bop in the entire world, the best bop, amazing yeah. bop, ten out of ten bop. Yeah. So I've been to Simon Cowell so far and calling everything a scam. Uh, as you may have guessed so far, I really like this movie. It's a bop. It didn't make any money at the time because it wasn't marketed well, but it should have. It's great. And hopefully it never gets a remake. I really hope so, because it is iconic and perfect and beautiful. Yeah, and I feel like a remake would miss the, the points of it and certainly wouldn't have the animation and the, and the great vocal performances. Definitely. Even if they got Beyonce to do the voice of the mom. Yeah. No, I, just, like, I just think it's like so intrinsic to its time, you know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. And it's about like his childhood, him growing up in the same way, like E.T. kind of has that feeling of 
of your own childhood, like a small. I think it's better than ET. Mm-hmm. Cool. I agree. So we'll have to say goodbye to our audience, uh, and we'll see you next week for. Well, I don't know quite yet. I we don't, don't know quite yet. We have no idea. Yet. We'll figure it out. Okay. Bye. Bye.